In New Jersey, we found some key Welcome to this week's episode of Jersey Matters. I'm Mike Perino. And I'm Casey McLean. Today, we're going to talk about uh, the banning of ghost guns, um, slavery in New Jersey. Is it 2020 or is it? 1820s. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about uh, marijuana legalization on the ballot in November, as well as um, Howell's... Uh... Howell's phony and Megan Law notifications that are going out around Howell. Dark money in New Jersey. And we'll end the headlines talking about... Um, well, the coronavirus is really not much else to talk so, about. <laughs> I don't know if anyone else has New Jersey news alerts, but the majority of them are coronavirus related. So we'll give you some information on that. Your segment after the headlines, uh, you're, you're going to be quizzing me. I'm going to be quizzing you on New Jersey political scandals. I know, and I look forward to it. <laughs> and then uh, I'm going to end with uh, should the New Jersey primary for the president be moved earlier? Should we matter for once? Uh, I'll let you know the answer is yes. Yeah, on, explain why. On this week's episode of Jersey Matters. <laughs> <laughs> so ghost guns. We'll start on with ghost guns. Ghost guns. What are ghost guns? Ghost guns are 3D printed guns. As of this week, they have been banned in New Jersey. So according so, to... So we were previously allowed to make them, or is it just like a loophole? It, it, it was basically, because the technology is so new, it takes a moment for the you know legislation to go through and pass, and then you have the issue of, you know, the NRA. I'm not sure their stance on ghost guns, but it's one of those things of, if you're a gun supporter, you more than likely, a lot of gun supporters that I know approve of common sense gun laws and I come from a Republican household, uh, a military family, uh, back to getting back to the Revolutionary War. So my family is very obviously pro-military, pro-guns, but when you have the ability to print guns with a 3D printer, you have a number of different issues. If there's a, like imagine printing anything from your printer, not a 3D printer. Sometimes there's not enough toner. Sometimes it, you're, just the settings are off and it becomes an issue. So imagine printing a gun and <laughs> from, a 3D printer. from a 3D printer, any kind of malfunctions that the gun could produce, it leads to people, you know, the gun malfunctioning and injuring themselves. And also you have people who you don't have to go through a psych evaluation to get a 3D printer. So if you're right. able to access a 3D printer, you have the funds, there's no way for the government or any kind of entity to supervise the printing of guns. So it's not too much different from laws that already exist. Like uh, from what I understand, you're not allowed to just create your own firearm at home. Yeah. I mean, you are different. allowed to, but yeah. you're legally. <laughs> you know, that, if you are capable of doing it, you're, you're, you're able to do so, but you're legally not able to do so. Yeah. So according to NorthJersey.com, New Jersey on Thursday outlawed four types of new age firearms designed to evade detection by law enforcement and sidestep regulations. Some can even be sneaked into places like airports without setting off metal detectors. Because again, um, the, the plastic guns, right? Yeah. <laughs> so Governor Phil Murphy signed a bill that he said would close, quote, a dangerous loophole. 
end quote, in existing law and strengthen law enforcement's hand in prosecuting people who sell or possess the weapons in New Jersey. So he held a signing ceremony in Trenton the day after a Marine Corps veteran fatally shot at least 12 people at a dance hall in Thousand Oaks, California. Quote, Murphy uh, said, we dedicate today and all our efforts going forward to the simple common sense and common sense premise that mass murder is not the price we have to pay for the Second Amendment. Um, Where do you stand on this podcast? <laughs> I, 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 I stand against. I think I also stand against uh, right, strongly. <laughs> The new law establishes four new crimes. Number one, purchasing the parts to make a, quote, ghost gun or a gun without a serial number that can be assembled using parts bought individually or as a part of a kit, often via the Internet. Number two, making a 3D printable gun or distributing the designs for one. Number three, manufacturing, selling, or possessing a, quote, covert firearm, which is disguised to resemble other objects such as a keychain, smartphone, cigarette lighter, or cane. And number four. Cane gun would be cool, actually. <laughs> I've seen so it in this, this is completely irrelevant, but I think it's worth mentioning. I wanted to buy my grandmother, like, a gift, and I saw, like, uh, at a... At like a, a flea market in, in Columbus, New Jersey, that they were they were selling a, a sword that was disguised as a cane, and I just thought it'd be cool to get her that. I, yeah. I never actually did get her, it, but yeah. <laughs> it would have been cool. Did you at least get her a gift? I didn't get a gift. I don't remember what it was, but, yeah. <laughs> Less memorable gift. Yeah. Um, but lastly, this law says manufacturing, selling, or possessing an undetectable firearm, which is made of material not recognized by a metal detector, will also be uh, a crime. So all of these third degree crimes would be punishable up to five years in prison. Okay. So good good news coming out of New Jersey for once. That's interesting. So we're going to transition to bad news. Um, well, good news, depending on how you look at it. So a New Jersey woman was sentenced for keeping a Sri Lankan national as a slave, according to uh, uh, three CBS Philly News. Basically, this woman was sentenced uh, to nearly six years in prison for forcing a, a Sri Lankan national to work for her for nine years without pay. And uh, they even forced, she even forced her to marry um, her employee so she could stay in the country. And uh, she was ordered to pay $1.2 million in restitution. It will serve three years of supervised release once she's free. Um, there's really not much more to that story. It's just, I thought that was wild. Okay. I mean, how awful will somebody do that? What I find interesting about that is the, her punishment doesn't fit the crime. So she's on, like, basically supervised house arrest after, uh, after saving like, someone? After, after a few years, yeah. That's, that's a fair point. And she should be in prison for a very long time. Yeah, I think she's going to be in prison for three years, and then it's, what, three more years of supervised, like, yeah, pretty much house, house arrest, yeah. Oh. That's awful. I, I, I didn't look in, into this, but I've heard other stories about this. That's pretty common, in, in, for, unfortunately, for, like, uh, people coming from um, underdeveloped countries or uh, third-world countries, as folks call them, get stuck into these, like, positions where uh, they don't have a lot of money, they depend on, like, an employer, often it's kind of, like, house domestic, um, like, role, yeah. and... Uh, They're yeah. basically trafficked illegally, and then they are kind of put in a position where they can't trust anyone because... They fled for a reason, and they found a, a pathway to technically be in a safer situation. But when you're enslaved, it's you know, slavery has been abolished in New Jersey since 1804, apparently, okay. for, and technically up until 1865 when the 13th Amendment um, was added to the Constitution. 
everyone was a free, uh, all slaves are free. Except for uh, one exception. What? The 13th Amendment makes one exception. I don't know. What is it? In the case of prison, the exception is that prisoners can be forced to work for no pay. Uh, yeah. Well, more on that when we talk about the coronavirus. Exactly. <laughs> I know it's true, but I want to actually read the... Uh, you know, as I was saying, the 13th Amendment says, uh, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States. Um, so, yeah, just, just one minor. Just one minor addition. Yeah. I thought you were talking about, because um, in, in New Jersey, there were several slaves that were, even though it was abolished, were still enslaved. And it was up until um, 1865 when the 13th Amendment came about that they were all freed. So there was still, you know, even though it was outlawed in New Jersey, there was still slavery. So the fact that this is still happening today, which I think a lot of people think slavery in the modern day doesn't happen, it yeah. does, and it happens it's in Jersey. A, there's actually um, more slaves exist now than at the time of uh, the kind of plantation-style slavery that we have in the world. So it's actually pretty crazy. The most common forms of slavery in the world are, are kind of like a debt peonage system where slaves have to, people like will sign up to work because uh, they need work, but then they have to say like borrow money uh, for like rent and then borrow money for uh, the tools of, of the work. And then like the landlords hold that, hold that over their heads. Yeah. It happens a lot in like places like India and, it's and elsewhere. Continuous. And it's just a continuous process where it's, it's, they're constantly building up interest and never able to pay it off. So this podcast, I, can, I think I can say this family is anti-mass gun shooting and also anti-slavery. Yeah, we're very liberal. <laughs> um, Extremely liberal in that way. Next topic, uh, we're going to talk about marijuana legalization on the November ballot. A little bit of a lighter note. A lighter note. A higher note. (laughs) (laughs) So marijuana is going to be on the the ballot in 2020, so in November. So we have, drumroll please, according to NewJersey.com, legal weed is now up to New Jersey voters as lawmakers vote to put it on the 2020 ballot. So New Jersey residents will decide whether to legalize marijuana in the Garden State, the Garden State aptly named, uh, (laughs) after both houses of the state legislature voted Monday to put the question on the 2020 ballot. So the measure passed the state Senate in a 24-16 vote at the state house in Trenton on Monday afternoon, while the assembly voted 49 to 24 with one absentation. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, who wasn't there? Who was it? Wasn't the guy we were talking about last week? <laughs> you know, didn't show up for his job. The no-show senator? Maybe. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Oh, no, no, that, 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 you said that was the House, right? He's, oh, he's, 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 in, he's, yeah, Senate. he's in the federal Senate. Yeah, so, the, the, yeah. the real Senate. Sorry, I can't, some people. can't joke about Cory Booker this time. <laughs> so Governor Phil Murphy made legalizing marijuana for those over 21 one of his campaign promises. And the nearly two years since he took office, the initiative has seen several setbacks. Um, I remember it was like last year because um, uh, everyone at my work was talking about it and we were like, oh, wow, it's actually got off to a vote. Yeah. And it was like stuck. I can't remember the senator's names, but it, it was stuck in like the Senate and it was like three Democratic senators like arguing over the details of the, the taxes <laughs> for it or whatever. It was why we weren't going to legalize it. And it was just, it was super frustrating. Yeah. But now it's going to be on the ballot. So it's going to be up to New Jersey voters whether or not it's legal. So I wonder what effect that's going to have on um, turnout so like uh, when you have these kind of major ballot questions um 
and ballot initiatives uh, will people turn out even more for the November election because they're like oh man I want to at least legalize weed at least I get that in New Jersey <laughs> I will abstain from all other voting but <laughs> that one <laughs> okay but that that about wraps up the marijuana New Jersey there was this week a, um, a convention so the New Jersey Cannabis Insider Live this week happened it's basically a conference and it is like a networking conference for business owners and different people in that, uh, that, that industry. So the format was basically a networking sponsor interaction, a vendor expo, and had some high profile speakers and expert panelists with Q&A sessions. That's, that happened this week. So it's, it's looking pretty good for cannabis in New Jersey. If anyone is listening, how can you attend that? And you want to talk about your experiences, reach out to us. Yeah. You can reach us on Twitter, Twitter, Instagram. I forgot to plug this. We'll, we'll plug it at the end. We'll plug it at the end. We'll put it in the beginning. Okay, so now, uh, do you want to talk about uh, Megan's Law and its phony use of it? Yes. So, for those of you who do not know, Megan's Law is the name for a federal law, and it basically was created in response to the murder of Megan. I don't want to mispronounce her name, but Megan Kanka. So the federal Megan's Law was enacted as a subsection of the Jacob Weltering Crimes Against Children and Sexually Violent Offender Registration Act of 1994, which uh, merely requires sex offenders to register with local law enforcement. First of all, you're supposed to register, and this is uh, a fun fact of pop culture news, but Nicki Minaj's uh, boyfriend, maybe fiance, not too sure. Don't sl- don't accuse me of spreading this information. But her love interest, he had to register as a sex offender. I think he was in New York um, because of a crime he committed. I think it, I'm not going to get into the details because whatever. But he moved to California, I think, to be with her, and he didn't register when he moved, so it became this big scandal yeah. of he was in violation of the law, um, but then he cleared it up by registering. And I do want to note that in the movie, uh, what was it? Bad bosses, or do you know what I'm talking about? Unfortunately, I am terrible at movie references. Oh, man, it was uh, a bad bosses movie. I really don't know. I, horrible bosses. Horrible bosses. Horrible bosses. That's what it was. Um, but you can become a registered sex offender, like the one character in it. Um, by he reportedly, um, well, it's a fictional movie, but he was even so, allegedly. even so, he. <laughs> He peed at um, within a school zone or something, oh, yeah, yeah, so he was like, he was charged yeah. with indecent exposure, all that kind of stuff, yeah. and then he had to register as a sex offender. So basically, you have to notify if you change your address, all that kind of stuff. You have to register. So this poor business owner um, in Hell, New Jersey, according to the, the patch, a fake Megan's Law letter is being investigated in Howell. So the police say that they believe the letter was sent to undermine the business of the person named the letter. Sounds like just smearing this individual. Yeah. So the fake letter circulating and claiming that a Howell resident and a business owner was subject to a Megan's Law notification. Someone who's evil, because this is tarnishing his reputation, impacting his... And it's one of those things that... It's very dangerous. There was um, 
when I was back in journalism school, there was an, it, it was a, one of those prompts based on real life where we had to decide whether or not we would publish the address of a known child predator. I think he ended up like raping and murdering someone. That was the, that was the prompt. And would you, would you not as a journalist publish that information? And everyone in the classroom raised their hand vehemently was like, yeah, I would, I would, I would publish it because the public has a right to know their exact address and know like he's on the streets and I was the only one in the class that was like maybe we don't yeah. publish his I exact I address I feel like just, <laughs> just thinking about it uh, you have to weigh whether or not this kind of action uh, would lead to consequences that are worse than having published it and especially with something like uh, like sex offenses, there's a huge kind of like vigilantism. I can't say that word. Yeah, vigilantism uh, to it. That is, um, um, is that what happened? Yeah, so what, yeah. And, that's, and that was the prompt. Was that yeah. I I believe if you commit a crime and you you know pay the punishment, you know, and a lot of these people who are registered, they might be, you know, it might be a small offense like public urination, or it could be a heinous offense, you know, going upward. And when you're sent this notification, you immediately, especially if you have children, are going to be very protective. You're going to want to make sure you know everything about this person and you want to know if they are a business owner that you don't go there. Which is not necessarily a wrong thing to do. Yeah. It's just when you're, uh, this person's getting smeared. Yeah. It's not like they're a convicted uh, sex offender, as we know, right? Yeah, he's not. So, just, uh, I just wonder who would hate somebody so much to do that. Yeah, and um, they're specifically, the police are saying um, they don't know who is sending the letters out. And they they were tipped off because it was very poorly worded. And mm-hmm. the, the, note, the note looks official, but it's poorly worded and it's citing Megan's Law, which immediately, if you're familiar with it, your guard goes up. And they are, they're asking anyone who receives it to not open it because it's going to be evidence. So you don't want to tamper with it. You want to bring it directly to them. They already have several in their possession. Um, So it'll be interesting to see how they could trace it. I know you could. I'm curious who's going to be able to catch who's dropping in people's mailboxes. If they're going door to door, if they're actually just mailing it out, you'll be able to find out. Yeah, I think it's actually, it's being mailed. It's going to find out where it's being mailed from. Well, you could drop it off in a, a post office box sure, not sure, giving advice enough. out to the criminals different book yeah difficult to find them but uh, uh it's really strange um i wonder what kind of business is it um it doesn't say oh, okay. and i don't think they want to publish you know? yeah fair enough they don't want to I was curious, like, is it like a rival business owner? Yeah, but it could be a number of things. It could could be, be, it could be a scorned lovers. It could be a child prank. You know, like someone who you know didn't get free stuff. They're not saying who the business owner. They're not saying who the business owner. They're not even saying that type of business. Um, One of the things I was wondering is if it could be like, uh, like racially motivated kind of. It could be anything. Too, if they're not saying that, I don't want to speculate. It's just yeah. Um, well, that's crazy. what this podcast is about. Right. <laughs> Speculation within the bounds of reason. <laughs> well, good luck to that Howell business owner. And if anyone's a listener that's um, from Howell, just be aware and make sure that you don't open the letter and you bring it directly to the police because this is a really awful crime and very unfair. Yeah, that'd be great. So, Moving on. Yeah, yeah I'm going to talk about um, 
dark money. So uh, in, in New Jersey, there was a law that was passed, I believe, last year. So the, basically, the measure, uh, the law required that political organizations and nonprofits disclose all spending over $3,000. And uh, it also mandated that any contributors who gave more than $10,000 would be disclosed. The uh, Illinois group, the American Civil Liberties Union and the Americans for Prosperity, which is a think tank funded by the Koch brothers, were all uh, filed um, lawsuits to stop the law, um, which was uh, signed by uh, Governor Phil Murphy back in June. And um, unfortunately, it looks like a, a judge signed an order blocking the uh, law. And uh, it looks like the uh, controversial, well, it says it's controversial, according to NJ.com, uh, controversial law is basically dead. The critics are saying that the law curbs free speech because, uh, according to NJ.com, people who don't want their names to become public from getting involved in politics and policy, their names will then get public, uh, being disclosed. I think that's a very weak reasoning, mainly because, uh, again, if you have, if you do smaller donations, sorry, you got publicly disclosed. Yeah. If you're going to do, uh, if you're donating a, a lot Large of money and that's dark money that has more influence on politics, we deserve to know who has all this money, who's mm -hmm. influencing New Jersey state politics, like who these individuals are or groups. And, uh, I think the idea that it limits free speech confuses money with speech and that's wrong. I think you can say this podcast is also an anti-dark money <laughs> podcast. Yeah, definitely. I, I, mean, I don't, we don't take any dark money. We don't. Um, we currently <laughs> don't take any money at all. <laughs> uh, we're just an independent group that just wants to talk about New Jersey politics and stuff. And um, if we did take money, we would, uh, from, say, like, people, we would okay. be able to tell you that it wasn't large corporations donating <laughs> to us. Yeah, uh, which is funny because like politicians who have far more effect on the political process than journalists, than journalists and people and, making and podcasts, podcasts <laughs> want to hide the fact that they're bought, and that's really what this comes down to. God, it's no point getting yeah. into it. But basically, like, politicians <laughs> always do this kind of thing where they like pretend that um, they're for you, um, you know. But I'm just taking the money because I don't want to disarm myself. That's like kind of the phrase yeah. that they're using right now. Uh, because after Citizens United, it's just the, the floodgates of corporate yeah, money. Yeah, it's a free-for-all. Yeah. I think that's the thing that usually voters should be aware of and should research is look at your elected officials, see where they're getting, see where they're voting, and if it's whether or not it's in your interest, and then look at who's been donating to their campaigns. Because yeah, especially career politicians, they want to stay in an office because they get a good paycheck. And I know a lot of politicians, I think, it, is it the Senate or the House that can, that has voted year over year over year to increase their pay? I think they all do it. Yeah. Honest. So yeah, it's very hard to vote against that. Speculating that everyone does it. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those things of you have to think about where your tax dollars are going. And if people are voting against, you know, your best interests, then because they're getting donations from, you know, exactly. Shady and it's unfortunate feelings. that this this ban is gonna make it harder for us to track the money spent in New Jersey. Yeah. And um, when they're voting against giving you health care or voting against raising the pay of teachers or things like that, uh, ask like, do they think that is actually better for you and teachers to not get paid more and not have health care, or um, are they getting paid by? Uh, interests, rich interests, to not vote those things. Yeah. A good uh, resource for all of our listeners is OpenSecrets.org, and what they do is um, they try to track all of the money spent in um, uh, elections.
collections, but as their methodology will tell you, and you can look it up, I'm not going to go into it. Um, uh, uh, they can't obviously do all of it. They can't track all the dark money, but, but they can track as much disclosed uh, uh, stuff. And it's, it can be eye-opening, um, as I mentioned in the first podcast that we did. Um, you can see, the, like, say, someone like Cory Booker gets a ton of money from um, securities and investments, being the financial industry, uh, pharmaceutical industry, and um, uh, like uh, professional middle class people, like like lawyers, and it just gives you an eye opening view of of from limited information we have. Still, like, yeah, because they're ultimately beholden to who pays them. And um, again, unfortunately, shame on New Jersey. We're now not going to have less information about who uh, our politicians are working for. Yeah, what I want to know are the politicians of Edison, who is paying their, who is lining their pockets to not reline their roads because... I don't know if it's a one way. I don't know if it's two lanes. I don't know if it's one lane. I don't know what's going on we should, there. We should call up um, NJDOT, <laughs> Department of Transportation, see if we can get somebody online and ask about it. Yeah, because who's lining their pockets? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so now we're going to go to the, the thing that everyone's talking about, the coronavirus. What information do you have uh well, I have an insider scoop, an anonymous source. Uh, so I think we can go into that a little later. Okay. Um, but if you want to get into what you're hearing about, because I've heard that there are people <laughs> that are creating their own hand sanitizer because hand sanitizer is sold out in the state everywhere we go. But I know that... It was sold out in my local acne. Yeah, but there's an issue of... Just to remember, I thought it was kind of funny. I was, it was in Acme, uh, where I live, looking around to see what kind of stuff was um, sold out. And, that. <laughs> and like things like hand sanitizer was sold out. Then I went to like the aisle where like cold medicine and things like that are. And like none of that was sold out. Like people are... Everyone's buying the preventative stuff because everyone wants to avoid getting the coronavirus, but nobody thinks that they're going to actually end up getting it, which is why they're stocking up on, like, toilet paper, water, yeah. and, and, like, uh, uh, hand sanitizer. So it's, it's pretty... It, it, the panic is real. The panic is real. So I have information on... Um, we have our first confirmed death uh, in New Jersey. Which in the past week, since we launched our last episode, yeah. there were only two cases confirmed of coronavirus in New Jersey, and a week later now we have our first death. It's like 23 or 29 to confirm cases in New Jersey, and uh, I'm going to go in later about why uh, it's likely more than that, but according to the New York Times, the first coronavirus death in New Jersey was confirmed. It was a Yonkers Raceway worker. So the man was identified as uh, John Brennan. He was treated with, he's 69 years old. He was uh, treated with uh, antibiotics and giving antiviral uh, medication, but unfortunately his symptoms didn't improve. Uh, improve. He was admitted to uh, Hackensack University Medical Center uh, last Friday, and um, unfortunately uh, he, has, he has passed away. So um, I, this is, it, it's going to get worse. Uh, people aren't taking the coronavirus seriously. Should I go into some of the Misinformation. Misinformation. Yeah. Okay. So a couple of NJ radio stations and just um, what I'm seeing online are, are pretty much actively spreading misinformation about the coronavirus. People are saying, and just as a disclosure, I'm not a health expert. I'm not a doctor. Neither of us are. But um, people need to be able to understand the difference between a trusted source that, like, say, the World Health Organization, infectious disease experts that work there, uh, medical physicians that work at the Center for Disease Control, and, say, random Twitter blue checks and radio jockeys on uh, NJ Radio. 
there's a difference of, of quality of sources. A chiropractor, for instance, I'm not going to call out exactly who they were, called in to dispute on a NJ radio station that they weren't worried about the uh, coronavirus. A chiropractor, by the way, is not an infectious disease expert. And also there was a, I was, I forgot what TV station that I was watching just briefly because it's just so wild, but they were saying that the, the language, the linguistics about the information being dispersed to the public, if someone says that the virus is attacking older people, a virus cannot attack yeah, that, that specific word. It's not a being that chooses who it wants to attack. Yes, and it's saying it's, you know, basically not harming children, but children, are you saying the children and the virus together are attacking old people? Yeah. Like the <laughs> And then there's also the confusion about it. It's uh, people who are younger saying, like, oh, I don't have anything to worry about because if I get it, it's not going to be a big deal. Well, that might be true if you have a strong immune system and you're getting younger. If you're if you're in contact, okay. if anyone. you are contagious, you will spread it to people who may have uh, deficient immune systems or weaker immune systems, or older, um, who are uh, smokers or at risk, and people who are who are obese are also at higher risks of um, severe systems. Any kind of respiratory, respiratory illness um, or any kind of you don't necessarily know that. Yeah. You don't know until it's kind of too late. And that's the, that's the issue that's happening. And instead of protecting the public and giving, you know, useful information, there's, they're kind of, you know, the people who are spreading the misinformation are making people panic and buy bags and bags of sour cream and onion chips from the stores. Yeah, they were out and I was reading that. Um, <laughs> but there are, I said I wasn't going to call out any NJ stuff by name, um, but I will call out one person, Dr. Drew Pinsky is saying that the coronavirus panic must stop and the press needs to be held accountable for hurting people according to real clear politics. Basically, first of all, it was pretty much irresponsible of CBS News to interview Dr. Drew as if he's an infectious disease expert. He's not, he's just a media entertainer that goes by the name of Dr. Oh, this is, is this the Dr. Drew? The Dr. Drew. Oh. And it's... The Silver um, Fox. Yeah, and it's... Uh, With the tight sweaters. Uh, is, he, is he a Silver Fox? I don't know. Okay, anyway. Um, so Listeners, you vote. We're going to Basically, <laughs> people have been saying that Oh, the mortality rate is not like it, it's it's not as bad as the flu. Uh, this is just like another flu. It's no different than a seasonal flu. And unfortunately, Dr. Drew peddled this this notion. So you've seen pandemics over the decades. Yes. How does this one compare with everything? A bad flu season is eighty thousand dead. We've got about eighteen thousand dead from influenza this year. We have a hundred from Corona. Mm -hmm. Which should you be worried about, influenza or Corona? A hundred versus eighteen thousand. Right. It's not a trick question. And look, the, everything that's going on with the New York cleaning the subways and everyone using Clorox wipes and get your flu shot, which should be the other message, that's good. Yeah. That's a good thing. So I have no problem with the behaviors. What I have a problem with is the panic and the fact that businesses are getting destroyed and people's lives are being upended, not by the virus, but by the panic. Well, actually, Dr. Drew, it is a trick question. And here's why it's a trick question. You are misinforming people about the difference between a mortality rate and the total amount of deaths. That's it's the difference between, say, he's saying a bad flu season has eighty thousand dead, and we only have a hundred now. Well, how many infections do we have now? What's the what's the rate? And I actually have some information on this. I think that's also a thing that listeners should be aware of is that people are pulling out numbers, and you. It's been how long has it been since the first diagnosis of it in New Jersey? It's been basically like a week, and already we have one dead. So if you yeah, exactly. last week we had two confirmed cases, mm -hmm. 
and you it's almost at the point where the data doesn't match what's actually happening because it's happening so fast you might have only 28 confirmed cases in new jersey but there are mass numbers of people who are infected that have not gotten a test exactly i'm going to, I'm going to bring both those up in a second i just want to talk about the mortality rate so according to this is on the world health organization they put out a pamphlet that basically describes the difference between influenza uh, seasonal influenzas and the uh, COVID-19 coronavirus. I'm quoting from it. The reproductive number, the number of secondary infections generated from one infected individual is understood to be between two and two and a half for COVID-19 virus, higher than for influenza. Mortality for COVID-19 appears higher than for influenza, especially seasonal influenza. While the true mortality of COVID-19 will take some time to fully understand, the data that we have so far indicates that the crude mortality ratio, that's the number of reported deaths divided by the reported cases, is between 3 and 4%. The infection mortality rate, that's the number of reported deaths divided by the number of infections, will be lower. But for seasonal influenza, mortality is usually well below 0.1%. So it's literally about 10 to 15 times worse than uh, it went, I have some more information on this. The American Hospital Association had a, con uh, like a conference film, and they put out like these slides, and uh, journalists have obtained the slides, and here's what they are saying. So according to the American Hospital Association's best guess epi epidemiology, for over the next two months, this is just the next two months, they're estimating that there will be 96 million cases uh, that means 96 million infections in the United States, 4.8 million hospitalizations, 1.9 million ICU admissions, and 480,000 deaths. Now let's compare this to the numbers of influenza in 2019. That's 35.5 million infections, 490,000 hospitalizations, 49,000 ICU admissions, and 34,200 deaths. As they say on their slide, uh, prepare for a disease burden roughly 10 times severe flu season. And the, just the idea that the, uh, a self-described doctor, and then you have a TV, to, you know, doctor. a TV doctor, and then you have people on the internet. This took, guys, this took me about two seconds to look up. You just type in World Health Organization, COVID-19, or coronavirus, flu comparison, and you can get uh, excellent information from reputable sources like the American Health Association or the World Health Organization. So we need to actually make sure that people are aware of this stuff. And then uh, what was it that you brought up before we talked about mortality rate? Um, it was uh, the infection rate. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, that's absolutely right. So another thing I wanna talk about is, um, according to the American Hospital Association, it basically doubles every seven days, right? So that's how long it takes uh, for the infections and symptoms to appear. And so last week there were two, the 20, and now that, we have 28. Yeah, 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 right. So, so if you have, if you have uh, it was about like 23 cases uh, uh, when I checked, but I think today mm -hmm. it's like 29 or something like that. But yeah. I was just using the number of 23. Um, and we're recording this on Friday, March 13th. Exactly. Everyone. So this is people don't understand exponential growth rates. So I just want to explain uh, what that means. Every seven days. It'll, it'll double. So next week, 23 confirmed cases will probably go up to 46. After 15 weeks, we're looking at 360,000 cases in New Jersey. 
assuming that the, the that it, dub, it still doubles at seven and you're days. Also, assuming that you're trusting the information's being reported. Because so there is a there is a a lack of test kits. There's a lack in kits. every test kit in New right. Jersey that goes out. It needs to be sent to the CDC to be confirmed. And I'll bring there's this. A, there's a delay with that. I'm gonna bring this anecdote up a little bit later, but. There are cases where someone has tested positive for the coronavirus, but they are not officially counted because they are not of a high-risk population. And so their priority of that test kit being validated goes to the bottom. Right. So just, just to be clear, uh, they are tested positive with, with state test kits, and then it yes. has to go to the CDC to get included in the official numbers. Yes. And they're not prioritizing that. Because it's, right. you know, probably, I don't know this person specifically because their, their name is being withheld, their information is being withheld, right. but, Makes sense. you know, they're not high risk, right. according to the CDC. So here's the other thing that people need to know. This is being mismanaged at a federal level, which is affecting the state's ability to um, uh, handle a coronavirus pandemic. Um, and for anyone who doubts this, just understand this number. In one week, the United States tested 77 people for coronavirus. In South Korea, in one day, they tested 10,000 people. We are not doing testing at the level needed to appropriately handle this kind of uh, case, according to pretty much every medical expert that is in Dr. Drew that I, that I know. <laughs> and, and it's, it's the, 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 the last one thing I just want uh, people to understand People are saying it's similar to flu. If you don't believe the mortality statistics, if you don't believe, for whatever reason, the World Health Organization and other stuff, ask yourself just a simple question. When has a country ever gone on lockdown because of the seasonal flu? Italy's on lockdown right now. So when has that ever occurred? It's never occurred. And I just want to compare Italy because people are saying, like, oh, we have nothing to worry about because the U.S. healthcare system is so much better to handle the crisis than Italy. Italy is consistently rated in the World Health by the World Health Organization in the top like ten, I think it's like the second. And the United States, by the way, is, is rated um, uh, in terms of the healthcare system, like how good it is, uh, is rated like thirty seventh. Um, we're below uh, Costa Rica, but above Slovenia. So I guess that's one thing going for us. And I just want to compare the capacity of the Italian healthcare system to the U.S. healthcare system. And one way you can do that is, is looking at hospital beds per capita and medical doctors per capita. So Italy has 3.4 hospital beds per 1,000 people. This information can be found on the World Health Organization's website. By comparison, the U.S. has 2.4 hospital beds per 1,000 people. Italy has 40.9 medical doctors per 10,000 people. The U.S. has 25.9 medical doctors per 10,000 people. And you have the whole issue in in Italy. They don't have a they have a healthcare system where everyone doesn't have to worry about access and insurance and all that kind of stuff. Where here we have millions, tens of millions of people who are uninsured who don't have access and and, and are able to afford healthcare. And uh, it, it's a disaster. It's going to be an absolute. It's not like full apocalypse, people. I'm not yeah. trying to be alarmist, but the people who are downplaying this and saying it's just another seasonal flu are not understanding what's going on. And I'm gonna do a quick little anecdote and let this be a cautious tale for everyone. So someone I know, an anonymous source, works in New York, you know, and this person, this anonymous source, travels freely as any New York, New Jersey, tri-state area person, okay? So they have been informed from their company, which is a multinational company, that someone in their New York office has tested positive for coronavirus. And they are saying, um, everyone work from home 
for a week because just want to interject the vice president i think it was last night said um that they're advising people to self-quarantine for 14 days yes so this company says everyone in this new york office this one person has tested positive we're closing the office work from home for a week um because the person who tested positive was in the office last week so it it would be a total ban they haven't been in the office for you know two weeks. So they're saying the overlap is, you know, their justification for closing on the office. Right. So they can sterilize. Just so listeners understand, uh, um, from what I've heard, um, you can be highly contagious without showing symptoms yet. So it's like, you don't start developing symptoms. I think it's something like four to seven days, but yes, don't take my word for it. Just look up on the World Health Organization <laughs> website. <laughs> so this company is having everyone work from home for a week so that they can sterilize the office. And they're saying everyone can come back next week and the issue with that is that that person who tested positive cannot confirm or pinpoint their exact location of uh contamination so they could have very well received the virus from someone who was already in the office and was in the office regularly because it is new york city people are touching things spreading their germs what have you whatever wherever and to assume that because this is the only person who tested positive and they happened to be in the office a week ago so you're closing it down for another week the other thing i think they're not understanding <laughs> is just the concept of the community yes people are going to be in contact with people who probably have it in these ma- in these places? Like, it just if you're able to work from home, let them work from home. Exactly, and it's just shocking that the company is basically putting their corporate profits over the health of their employees. Yeah. What you should have done, company that I'm not naming, is say everyone to be safe from this point on. Do not come into the office. We're closing it down for at least two weeks. Everyone yeah. who has been in the New York office, period, period. Anyone who has been in the New York office since the first reported cases of coronavirus started hitting, uh, just self-quarantine from now on for two weeks. If you have the virus, you have the virus. You're not exposing yourself to anyone else and making anyone else more you know, susceptible to being contaminated. And connect with your friends and loved ones that you've interacted with in the past month, basically, to let them know, hey, guess what? My office has an as a known case. And also, listeners, this known case is someone who tested positive in their state. But like I said earlier, their positive test has not been validated, verified from the CDC because they are not a high-risk population person. So it is insane that you're not taking, you know, the opportunity to prevent the spread of this disease. It's deadly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And as, as, as the numbers are listed, it, it's about 10 times deadlier than um, your seasonal flu. So, and so people need to take this seriously because, again, if you might not be the one who the symptoms manifest in a severe way. But it's very contagious, so you should isolate yourself still because you can spread it to other people who can get harmed from that. And it's not just old people. Old people are at the higher risk, but, you know, people who have um, just, you know, a weaker immune system, yeah. uh, symptoms, uh, immune uh, system, it's, it's just in, the, the amount of disinformation out there is part of what's going to cause us to be that bad. And if, you're, if your company that you work for is forcing you to commute, 
is forcing you to interact with people when you very well know that you were exposed and you have a potential of spreading the disease and quarantine yourself. And then you put- The thing is, uh, I mean, for some people it's a choice between uh, being forced to work and then not being able to pay rent or or mortgage payments. And uh, it really gets into, this. this, the coronavirus pandemic is showing just how structurally weak and uh, our system, our both our healthcare system, system yeah. but also our economic system. So I don't know, should I just go into that just a little bit, or should I save that for like next week or something? Save it for next week, because it's going to get worse. Yeah, I'll save it for next week. Next week, I'll go into more about how the coronavirus will uh, affect us economically. I guess we should, we should move on. We're going to move on. All right. Um, I pulled together some of um, New Jersey's famous political scandals, and I'm going to quiz you, Mike. And just so listeners know, I don't know the questions. Uh, there's no cheating involved. And um, like all good students, I haven't studied in advance. So let's. Uh, and let's listeners, so you know, I pulled this information from newsjersey.com, articles, and Wikipedia, and you can play along too. It'll be fun. Okay. And with each, you know, quiz question, I'm going to give a little more details on the background and the information about it. Okay, so well, true. It'll be a fun learning experience for us all. <laughs> Probably embarrassing for me. I mean, <laughs> embarrassing for New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> so, and it's it's not hard to embarrass New Jersey. Yeah. Okay, so true or false? The again, this is perfect for you. The 2013 hit movie American Hustle, starring Christian Bale, Amy Adams, Bradley Cooper, and Jennifer Lawrence, was based on a New Jersey political scandal. True or false? Uh, I didn't see that movie. I had no idea what it's about. But I'm gonna say true. You're correct. What's the movie about? And what's the uh, uh, what's the scandal? So, Harrison Williams, uh, a New Jersey Democratic representative, served 23 years in the U.S. Senate until he was convicted of bribery and conspiracy for agreeing to help a fake <laughs> Arab sheik. Uh, Wait, was the guy actually not Arab, or was he a fake sheik? He was actually... Fake Arab or fake sheik? <laughs> he was the... The fake sheik was actually engaged in an FBI undercover operation <laughs> in exchange for money. So, Williams resigned <laughs> in... Yeah, so he resigned in 1982 before he could be expelled and served two years in prison. The scandal also um, convicted... U.S. Representative Frank Thompson, a Democrat from Trenton, and Camden Mayor Angelo Inrochetti. What was this? This was uh, back in 19, the 1980s. So it's a really good movie, and it's really funny, um, but they basically create this operation to expose corruption in New Jersey, and they had this um, fake Arab sheik who came in and... He in the I don't know if this was how it really happened, but in the movie he has all this money that he wants to invest, and everyone's really excited about it. And it's basically like a obviously bribery and conspiracy um, charges were filed. So interesting. It's a good movie. You should watch. It's funny. Um, yeah, I'll have to watch it. Uh, it's a long <laughs> list of cultural movies that I haven't watched. This is going to be an easy one, I okay. think. Um, so, which New Jersey governor had an extramarital affair with an Israeli national? Is it true questions or actually like more than one? It's New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know. Was it was it was it was it McCready? It was. It was. It was. I, it was. I, oh wow! I got it right. It's two in a row. So, <laughs> uh, former Governor Jim McGreevy resigned as the state's 
chief executive in August 2004, following revelations that he was engaged in an extramarital relationship with a man who had who he had put on the state payroll despite spotty qualifications. That's actually probably the, 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 the real candidate <laughs> is just putting somebody on the payroll as your lover. For... Well, it gets, it gets a little bit better. So McGreevy, who was married to a woman at the time, came out as a gay man at a press conference in which he announced his sexual orientation, which I want to note, he officially was the first New Jersey gay governor. Like, a nice nod, but this is a little shady. Um, but it's kind of like the first uh, woman governor in the sense that, like, she 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 had a huge scandal that we went into last yeah. week. And then I, now it's like, <laughs> oh, know, this I, is I, in the midst of a scandal, like, oh, by the way, I'm gay. Yeah. Um, so the resignation, which came at McGrady, based a possible sexual harassment lawsuit from Golan, I want to say his last name is Sipple, uh, an Israeli he had named as his Homeland Security Advisor, um, and it ended its tumultuous two-and-a-half-year governorship for the Democrats. So McGreevy, a married man, has the affair with a man that he had appointed as his um, Homeland Security Advisor. Okay. Wow. Um, and then that same man floats that he's going to sue him for sexual harassment. So McGreevy had faced a lot of heat for appointing him as a Homeland Security Advisor because the guy lacked experience or qualifications for the position. So in addition, he could not gain a security approval from the federal government because wow. he was a, an Israeli citizen and not a U.S. citizen. And uh, McGreevy had met him in Israel during a trip there in 2000. And I wanted to note that McGreevy was also involved in facilitating uh, ventures to profit Charles Kushner, a billionaire real estate developer who later went to jail for crimes related to his financial support uh, for the governor and other political figures. And Kushner is the one who reportedly introduced uh, Seipel to McGreevy as an inducement to seal his loyalty. Wow. Wow, well, that's a, <laughs> that's, a, that's a scandal. It's a layers, layers of... It's, it's just when you think it, it ends, it just keeps going. Yeah, <laughs> like an onion. Yeah. Um, like a New Jersey-grown onion, yeah. Garden State. That's it. Okay, so this is the next one. Okay. True or false? Uh, sorry. <laughs> a North Korean wheat debt took down U.S. Senator Robert the Torch Torcelli. A what? Uh, a North Korean wheat debt. So, like, grain, like wheat. But like debt? Like a debt. Like, like something owed? Yes. No, false. It's true. Damn, I was doing so good. So, the U.S. Senator, uh, the Torch, um, tried to win a second term in the upper chamber after seven terms in the U.S. House, but withdrew two months before the election following allegations that he received illegal campaign contributions from businessman David Chang. Democrats ended up scrambling to repeat, replace Torch um, on the ballot with a former former Senator Frank Lautenberg, who agreed to run again. So the Torch was later admonished by the Senate Ethics Committee. But according to a NBC New York article, Chang was a businessman who claimed he had sought the Torch's help in uh, seeking repayment of millions owed to him by the North Korean government. What? Chang 
had shipped millions of dollars of wheat to that country, but claimed he was never paid in full. So was this like New Jersey growing wheat that you had been trying to get it? I don't know. I don't even know, but I don't know how you get that much wheat and then you have whatever. But Chang told prosecutors um, that he personally delivered cash payoffs to Torch at his then home in Englewood, as well as expensive gifts, including a big screen TV, suits, ties, watches, and art statues. In exchange, Chang alleged that the senator agreed to use his office to help pressure North Korea to repay the debt. So the torch um, ends up denying any wrongdoing. And like I said, he was, you know, basically acquitted of like any kind of foul doing. Um, That's usually how corruption goes. Yeah. <laughs> and he was never charged officially with any crime. He called Chang a liar. Uh, federal prosecutors labeled Chang's cooperation quote, extraordinary, um, but did not move forward with the case in part because they said Chain, who was Chang, who was a, a convicted felon, um, would make a weak witness on the stand. So it made it made national headlines as the campaign finance investigation hit its crescendo amid the New Jersey election battle where the control of the U.S. Senate had weighed in the balance. So North Korean wheat. That's that's incredible. <laughs> I had no idea that happened. Yeah. Um, I vaguely knew the, the, the first two, but that one, no, I, I thought it was bullshit. Yeah. No lie. Uh, so, this is a fun one. It's really a yes or no question. Okay. Can you be convicted of racketeering and still win a mayoral race in New Jersey? I'm going to say yes. I feel like that's probably most of our mayors, right? <laughs> You are correct. So William Musto, um, a mayor of Union City and a state senator, was convicted of racketeering following a trial in which former aide Bob Menendez was a prosecution witness. The day after being sentenced to prison in 1982, Musto was re-elected mayor. He didn't serve his term, but he did spend more than three years behind bars. Uh, according to Wikipedia, in 1946, Musto was elected to the New Jersey Assembly, where he started his political career. By 1965, he was elected to the New Jersey State Senate. In 1970, he lost the city election to a reform candidate, uh, William Meehan, and did not return to the mayoral seat until 1974, where he served in a second non-consecutive term until the 1982 election. So, in the midst of all this, um, in 1977, investigations began into the city's dealings with Rudolph Orlandini. You know, meet with the names. I can't pronounce them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Maybe get somebody with third person here just pronounces the names. Yeah, and I'll just do a quick voiceover. Yeah. Uh, so Rudolph was hired for a $2.2 million project to construct additions to the city's two high schools at the time, Emerson High School and Union Hill High School. The projects ultimately incurred $12 million in spending. So you agree to pay 2.2, somehow it just goes to 12 million. <laughs> who, who hasn't made trivial math errors like that before? So in 1979, uh, with a trial looming, Deputy Public Works Director Bruce D. Walter and the Board of Education Secretary Robert Menendez, aka Bob Menendez, both whom would later serve terms as mayor of Union City, formed an alliance, um, the Alliance Civic Association, and publicly questioned the overrun costs in um, the guy's construction company dealings. And in April 1981, the grand jury indicted Musto and six others on 36 counts of racketeering. 
extortion and fraud. They were eventually convicted of receiving hundreds of thousands of dollars in kickbacks from the the construction guy in part due to testimony by Menendez, the former aide of Musto's. So Musto's conviction drew disbelief from some of his contemporaries as well as skepticism at the validity of the accusations against him on March. Was Was it pretty definitive though? I mean, but he's beloved. So I'll get into more about like his character. So on March 26, 1982, Musto and his co-defendants were convicted in skimming 600,000 in kickbacks from the contracts for the school construction projects. And he was sentenced to seven years in prison. Despite his legal troubles, Musto still managed to maintain his adoration for Union City and continued his 1982 re-election campaign for the city commission, winning the election against Menendez, who testified against him, uh, May 11th, 1982, the day after his sentencing. So the courts uh, forced him from office and his wife uh, won her husband's seat in a special election. And after two years of appeals, Musto began serving his prison sentence in 1984 on a reduced sentence of five years. So Musto in 1972, back in the day, which is part of the reasons why he is so beloved by Union City, he originated the North Hudson Council of Mayors, which meant to offset Jersey City's dominance of county government. He is also responsible for originating the New Jersey State Lottery and casino gambling in the area, funds from which were used for education. He is also credited with revitalizing New Jersey, the New Jersey Meadowlands. He is was also known for being an advocate for women's rights and healthcare reform. So that's always the issue with these politicians who were just, you know, so entrenched in scandal, but they have that that goodness. Like, oh, I've done a couple things. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's unfortunate because you do these good things and you kind of, you know, you you slice and dice. And they, they think it's kind of like a like a trade-off, right? Yeah. Like, like you do two bad things, you do three good things, you're good. Yeah. <laughs> That's you know that's how the great crumbles in New Jersey. Uh, And last, Uh, that's not. I don't think any moral philosophy in the world (laughs) believes in that kind of like moral trade-off. Yeah, we're this podcast is against uh, political corruption and bribery and illegal doings of our elected officials. Whether they're Democrat or Democrat, I mean Republican. (laughs) That still is good though. Um, Okay, last question. How much do you think a New Jersey black market kidney is worth? <laughs> um, so on the one hand, I want to say like a high amount, like something crazy, like $60,000, right? But on the other hand, I'm thinking like, I don't know, we have like almost 9 million people. So like kidneys must be... A dime a dozen. Yeah, exactly. There's at least two per person. So, um, right, we have two kidneys? We're not. We're not we, said this, we said this many uh, um, <laughs> And uh, anyway, so I don't know. I'm going to say between, can I give a range? Yeah. As long as it's reasonable? Yeah. yeah. Between twenty dollars and $60,000. You are wildly off. Really? It's too yes. Low? So the answer is $160,000. Oh, wow. Okay. So. Yeah, I've been selling mine for way too, <laughs> way too uh, little money. Um, sorry, black market kidney operators, but that, that's the... Yeah, that's, I can pay off student debt with that. Anyway. I, anyway, um, so in 2009, this is where the 
the quiz question comes from. So in 2009, federal prosecutors indicted 44 people, New Jersey, on charges of taking bribes to clear the way for building permits, with one person even offering to sell a human kidney. The case, known as Bid Rig 3, ensnared three mayors, two legislators, and more than 20 candidates for public office who were charged with taking cash bribes to help greenlight questionable development projects. Separately, five Orthodox rabbis from Brooklyn and the Jersey Shore were charged with laundering millions of dollars through various religious charities. Related to the scandal, the state's community affairs commissioner resigned after the FBI searched his home and office. The investigation was begun by then attorney, then U.S. attorney Chris Christie. So according to an NJ.com article back in 2009, Christie, who was running for governor against incumbent uh, Governor John Corzine, called for the resignation of all public officials involved in the sweeping investigation. And he said, quote, if you're charged with a crime and you hold public office, you should resign. Resign immediately. Uh, he said this while he was addressing the media in a barbershop that was <laughs> to have been a campaign block walk along the West New York Street. He called for the arrest. Um, he called the arrest, quote, just another really tragic day for the people of New Jersey. And uh, the, the kidney, I don't know how the kidney got involved, but apparently a re New Jersey realtor was, you know, floating that around. I didn't get m more details on it, but the kidney selling on the black market was a like, part of, like, of this of investigation. Like, of like a bunch of yeah. stuff that they were all doing mixed in with like, what was it, real estate? Company? Yeah, develop, property development, all that kind of stuff. So. Wow. Were there people like not believing this was true as well? Because what I found uh, most amazing so far about all these scandals is that is all these people who are just like absolutely shocked that a New Jersey politician would be corrupt, even though it's like every it's two it. years, it's like, hey, um, some guy did some corrupt thing. Hey, some guy did some corrupt thing. And it's, I think what's interesting about the New Jersey corruption and bribery is that New Jersey kind of acts as a suburb to New York. Yeah. And it's just... I want to, I mean, this is a New Jersey podcast, but I want to know, like, the, the connections, like, the red string of, you don't just come up with this idea out of, not, out of thin air, you know what I mean? If all those people were charged, it wasn't their first yeah, idea. A load, of, a load of money. Yeah. And, I mean, we all know Wall Street and all that stuff is so corrupt. They, uh, you know, crashed on economy a couple times. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, it would be interesting to know just the extent that uh, corrupt practices in New York affects New Jersey, we'll have to look into that. Yeah, and vice versa. And it's just. Vice versa, too. I mean, we have our own uh, level of just like, like, New Jersey politicians are known, like, countrywide <laughs> for just being, like, scummy. I think we've, it's been so long, I want to hear your opinion on this, like, it's been so long of just, like, corrupt New Jersey politics that I think New Jersey people, I mean, I know I do, and all my friends do, yeah. have just, like, very low expectations for every politician, yeah. even the ones they like. And we said, I think, um, last episode, uh, Bill Murphy, his heart governor, the, the latest scandal to come out of his office was he used, like, the wrong year to calculate the school budget yeah. scandal. So I'm really excited about Murphy. He seems like a straight shooter so far. Uh, I, really, I really do hope. Yeah. Not that I'm, like, a Murphy stan. I just, it would be nice. We're used to it, so it's not shocking. 
And it's shocking when, you know, you have the pendulum swing to the other way of someone who is correcting it and giving us something to be excited about. But I don't want to, you know, speculate, but I just always hold your breath with New Jersey politics. If history has taught us anything, it is that where you have a New Jersey politician scandal is soon to follow. <laughs> and and um, this kind of ties back to dark money thing. Not, not all of this stuff was, was dark money related scandals. These, these are uh, mainly just- This I, is light know, money. Yeah, it, this was <laughs> strange, kidney, kidney strange uh, uh, um, fake chic scandals. <laughs> like there, a lot of stuff like that. It's a real scandal. It's just uh, that that's, that pervades all of this, just the amount of money that flows around in New Jersey politics that, that is just dark money that we don't know about, that we do, and it affects, and if money corrupts people, yeah. when it, especially when it comes from like a couple billionaires or, or like a bunch of millionaires and they just donate a lot, but I already talked about that, but it's one of the... Well, it's New Jersey. Yeah. Next up. Yeah, okay, so... Your uh, segment yeah. on uh, the primary. Should the New Jersey primary matter? Um, and, uh, spoiler, yes. And, uh, I just want to talk a little bit about it. So New Jersey's primary is on June 2nd and our state awards 128 delegates. June 2nd is extremely late. Is June the only the time that the Democrats have their primary? What about the Republicans? Republicans also have it on June, on June 2nd. Okay. So, um, see the idea of like how late this is, uh, pretty much only the Virgin's Islands primary is later. And that only awards seven delegates. It's not set in stone. People need to understand this, that the, the, when the New Jersey primary is, or when any primary is in any state, is determined, except for Iowa, is determined by each state party. Because each state party controls uh, when and, and how uh, their officials are like yeah. elected or nominated for the, prim for the primaries. I said except Iowa, because Iowa has in their constitution, uh, state constitution, that they basically have to be the first no, no other state can be first, but honestly, it's meaningless. If that ever got challenged in court, it would go away. So it's completely irrelevant. It's a weird fun fact. So there is an example of the primary being earlier in June, and in, in 2008, it was in February. And I just want to talk about look at the pros of, of why it would be a good idea to move, and then I'll talk about the cons, and then I'll talk about why all the cons are not actually. Well, cons. why did they move in February? Because they wanted to be more influential uh, during when Obama was getting elected, and they basically were like, you know, we're tired of having it in June. Let's actually have it, and then I'll tell you why a little bit later why they switched it back. Okay. So the the pros are uh, okay. So the first two primaries are uh, well, Iowa's technically a caucus state, mm -hmm. but it's, it's Iowa and New Hampshire, and New Jersey as a whole is a uh, much more diverse than Iowa and New Hampshire and better represents the country as a whole. So I have some demographic uh, stuff. So according to the most recent census, the demographics for the United States as a whole are we're about 73% white, 17.7% uh, black, 0.8% uh, Native American, 5.4% Asian, and then it's like 5% like other types of identification. Mm -hmm. In Iowa, it's 90.28% white, 3.51% uh, black or African-American, 2.4% Asian, and then it's just basically everything else. Yeah. In New Hampshire, it's, it's similar. It's 93.03% uh, uh, white, 2.69% uh, Asian, and basically everything else uh, after that. Uh, and New Jersey, here, here's how diverse New Jersey is. Uh, we're 67.91% white, 13.47% uh, black or African-American, 9.37% uh, Asian, 
and then um, 6.4% for like uh, all the other kinds of the things that people identify. So, so basically more in line with uh, the nation as a whole. Right, exactly. And for people who might wonder like, like does this really matter? It, it, it kind of does in a sense because the way you campaign in a state uh, like New Hampshire uh, which is, as we said, it's extremely light white. It's like 93% white. Um, and also New Hampshire is one of the richer, richest and older states in the union. You, you'll tailor your campaign about different issues. And what matters is that these earlier states are, have a disproportionate effect on the entire process itself. Because the media candidates comes. will drop out if they don't do well in the first states. It's exactly. Which we've seen already this year. Exactly. And also, let's, let's talk about population because it is important. Um, because... So the combined total of the first three states, says Iowa, New Hampshire, and Nevada, is 7.55 million people. The population in New Jersey is 8.9 million. We're, yeah, we're larger than the first three states combined. And uh, these states, again, have a disproportionate impact on the entire primary process later. And, it's, and they're not as diverse, with the exception of Nevada. Uh, as as New Jersey. And as we've said before in previous episodes, nearly half of all Americans are not affiliated with the Republican Party or with the Democrat Party. Right. Specifically in New Jersey, that is what the numbers show. Right. And so you're having not only 7.55 million people, but you're having half of that basically not able to participate in the primaries. And the, the percentage of people who are registered in either primary, whether they're Democrat or Republican, that small group of people are having so much power and influence on the nation as a whole. Exactly. That's an excellent point. So I'm going to go into <laughs> I'm going to go into one of the uh, three of the cons. I found I read a couple articles and there's basically three reasons I see over and over again about why we shouldn't move to the primary earlier. The first reason is that New Jersey is an incredibly expensive media market, and this is actually probably the strongest point. Mm-hmm. So we're sandwiched between Philadelphia and New York City geographically, and the cost of running ads in New Jersey exceeds those of like Iowa, uh, New Hampshire, Nevada. I couldn't get any numbers, but basically every analyst was saying like it's extremely expensive to run ad time because you're basically going to be paying if you're in North Jersey, you're going to be paying for having uh, ads that, that compete with and, and airways in um, New York and North Jersey. And if you're in South Jersey, it's going to be uh, the Philadelphia media region, but South Jersey's media region. And a more expensive media market benefits candidates that have more money. And it actually weakens insurgent candidates who might have not have much money, but who will be able to pick up steam later in, in smaller states. And uh, I think, again, I think that's the strongest reason, but uh, later I'll explain why I think it's not that strong. So the next is, uh, if we move the presidential primary earlier, this creates the problem of having two primaries, which is actually why we moved it back after February uh, in 2008. So speaking to the press of Atlantic City, a former Republican consultant, Carl Golden, who's a senior contributing analyst at Stockton University's William J. Hughes Center for Public Policy, says, quote, you end up with two primaries, one just presidential and the other for everything else. You risk some people voting in the presidential primary and then skipping the primary in June for lesser offices, end quote. And that actually happened. In 2008, when New Jersey moved its presidential primary to February, it didn't move all the other state uh, offices uh, as well, So, and, and along with the congressional, congressional stuff. So in the June congressional and state primaries had about a third of the total t- uh, turnout. Because people were like, I already voted. Like, what do I need to vote for this stuff? But why, why not? I, I get why not move it, because then you have people who are in office that get their time cut. 
if there well, are not. This is just everyone still votes in November. No, I know, but I'm so saying it's just, a, it's just a nomination process. Stephen, yeah. we're just nominating who we want to vote for later in November. So why not just move? Okay, I get that. Why not move at all? That's what I'm saying. It's like why not? Wait, that's actually you basically just wrote the reason. <laughs> so the third argument is basically that if we have it in February or March. Uh, this is also made by the same uh, point, yeah. uh, the same person, Golden. He says, if you have it in February or March, candidates or people say candidates are more likely to come here to campaign, but there's just no guarantee of that. So now I kind of want to go through each one of these uh, points and explain why I think they're all bullshit. <laughs> so right off the bat, I want to say all of these cons basically exhibit, how do I put it, the near chronic lack of political imagination and ambition of politicians and political analysts in New Jersey. For the first reason, which again was that we have an expensive media uh, market, the solution to this is to advocate for a combination of campaign finance reform and, and media reform. We could, if we have public financing of elections, and if New Jersey helped that with the state at the state level for uh, stuff, and we have uh, government mandating or state government mandating fair airtime exposure for all candidates, that essentially makes the, our our state and the country overall more democratic. So the, these people basically give up before they even start, and then where they're just like, well, you know, it'd be really expensive for the run uh, media campaigns here. It's like, okay, well then, what do we do to? Reduce that. Yeah, and it's also a deterrent for people who might not come from wealth and might not right. come from becoming a career politician. Right. Like, it should be that anyone who wants to run should be able to run. Right. And if you're not able to afford media buys, then there should be some that are allocated to the public. And you know what I mean? Exactly. Like it's, so what if what if instead of having this defeatist attitude that it's too expensive to run media campaigns. The system's broke. Yeah, well, well, nothing (laughs) we can do about it. What if uh, politicians and political analysts and and viewers or listeners who are listening to this uh, took a different approach and said, uh, what if we made New Jersey be the fairest, uh, like most progressive state on these issues? What if instead of just like giving up, we said our state elected officials are all going to be publicly financed campaigns, no more money at all in politics, have, they'll get, all get the same amount. There'll be state mandated uh, times where they're able to uh, uh, run ads, so we don't have to worry about outside ads and all these things like that. And um, it, I can understand that might hurt for the presidential level, but we can we can be creative. We can say things like, you know, every candidate that's running for any major political party who gets say 15% more in the, of the national vote will be guaranteed airtime, uh, like fair airtime and exposure on New Jersey uh, public airways or or even um, if we can, if you can mandate it private, yeah, and we de- just give up. And depending on what kind of election you're running in, there are certain mandates that you need to get anyway, like a certain number of signatures to get your name on the ballot. Like that could be, oh, yeah. you know, the catch all. If you can't get that, then you don't get. And that's another thing. It's like not everyone is cut out to run for pol- political office because, you know, they don't have that you know, that tenacity, that ability to garner those signatures, not to deterrent. But if you're really passionate about being an elected representative and representing your your public, then you do that. You go to the door, you get people to sign, you know, your ballot slip, and then you're able to have your name on the ballot. And that could be a way to validate your name in the election and validate the way that you should be able to have ad buy-in and validate the way that you should move the election up. Exactly. So that's exactly you're touching on the second point. So the second one was uh, the second con was, you know, oh, we have the problem of two primaries. I said it earlier, but state parties are the ones that decide when the primaries are or even how they're formed. So, for instance, uh, if you're 
some kind of independent party or, or left-wing party. You don't even have to have a primary. <laughs> you can just decide who runs from like a central say. committee who, just, who runs uh, yeah. in, in different offices. And uh, some parties, uh, I mean, some states do mandate that they have a similar primary process. I don't think New Jersey is one of those, but I don't know off the top of my head. But even if it is, the, states are the, the state parties are the ones who decide. Literally, all they have to do is decide to move everything on the same day earlier. That's it. I, I found no justification online anywhere that ever explained why uh, the state levels have to be in June. So if anyone's listening and you actually do know the reason why it has to be in June, <laughs> please let me know. Correct me. But I looked yeah. it up. I spent a long time trying to look for it. Absolutely no reason. It's just people saying, well, you know, if we move the presidential one up, then we're going to have two primaries. Move them all. But move it's, them move, all. Move everything. And that's the thing I think that exhausts the public of knowing more and getting more involved in politics is the information isn't readily accessible or there is no real reason for yeah. the reason. You know what I mean? Like Exactly. Uh, the second thing is uh, on this point, again, it shows you the complete lack of political imagination of politicians and, and unfortunately uh, analysts. The New Jersey state government cannot only just move, well, the parties cannot only just move it to incentivize people move, uh, to move a date. New Jersey state government can make a primary date a state holiday. They can issue a day and say, you know, they, they can't mandate that, that every, uh, um, to my knowledge, they can't mandate that all the parties have their primary in the state. But they can say, like, this is a state holiday for any party, party that wants to have a primary, and we encourage people to go out and vote in their primaries and then run kind of campaigns like that. They can mandate businesses that allow employees to take time off to vote. And, um, like, imagine, imagine if we did that, buying with the... Uh, you know, like a public financing of state elections and, and fair media exposure. It's just, again, people people just were so used to politicians doing literally nothing for us yeah. that we just like don't bother trying to demand and fight for the things that would actually help. And I just want to get to the last point. The last part was there's <laughs> the distinguished analyst <laughs> said that, you know, there's no guarantee that they're going to come here because basically we have a, a little amount of delegates. How many delegates do we have? Let's talk about this. Okay, <laughs> the argument, we have 128. The argument is, to put it fairly, completely ludicrous. So the idea that there's no guarantee that candidates will come to New Jersey if the primary is held earlier, say in February or March, is com is completely ridiculous. And more importantly, it fundamentally misunderstands why the early primaries are important. The earlier primaries are important because of media exposure and the momentum that is caused from winning those. It has nothing to do with delegate count. It's all about the narrative of a winner. And this is the same and true of the Republican Party as it is in the Democratic Party. Uh, this momentum of the, of the winner of these early primaries carries that candidate forward and the sort of there's like a reverse effect like a negative momentum for the other candidates so if you're not winning these early elections then people are like well you know can you win an election and then they end up not voting for them so but I, well, let's just on the face of it let's talk about the delegate count right so iowa 41 delegates new hampshire 24 delegates Nevada, 36 delegates. The first three states combined have less delegates than New Jersey. Um, as of March 13th, there were 23 states. Yeah, as, as of today, basically, uh, 23 states have had their primaries and caucuses. Only California and Texas have more delegates than New Jersey. Every other primary and caucus that has occurred so far has less total delegate count than New Jersey. On March 17th, we will see Arizona, Florida, Illinois, and Ohio. They're, they're going to have their primaries. Arizona has... Uh, uh, want to say something? What would happen if all the states had their primaries on the same day? There is a good argument about why we shouldn't do that. Why? 
because um, remember the argument about media exposure about how they'd be, be too expensive? Yeah. If you had all the primaries on the same day, it's going to be difficult for, uh, instead of staggering them mm-hmm. over a period of time, it's going to be difficult for candidates who don't have a lot of money to be able to campaign and afford and the time and all that stuff in every state. But the other argument you could do is we could just have a rotating semi-random yeah. way of doing it. Yeah, instead of every year having New Hampshire, Iowa, and Nevada exactly. being one. Because it would, it would make sense because... At least if you're going to go for kind of like a random thing to every state, then... Yeah. Yeah, but I'm making this for the point that New Jersey uh, <laughs> as, state resident, as, as a Jersey matter, saying why we should be earlier. Uh, again, on March 17th, we're going to have Arizona, Florida, Illinois, and Ohio. Arizona has 67 delegates. It's a little more than half of New Jersey's. Illinois has 155 delegates, which is very close to New Jersey's 100 and... Uh, I think it's 126. You said 128. Okay, well, it's one of those. Uh, Ohio's uh, 136 is a near tie with uh, New Jersey, and it's really only Florida with 219 that has uh, that's more important, clearly, uh, in, in delegate count. So, okay. Quick sorry, correction. Quick correction. I said I misspoke. 128. I meant 126 earlier. New Jersey has 126 delegates. So I just want to uh, mention a few more. So. Really, as I said, really Florida in that list that are going on March 17th are the only one, the only state that has clearly more importance from a delegate count with their 219. On March 24th, Georgia will have its primary and there's 105 delegates at stake. So that's every, I went through every single uh, state in March and there is zero reason not to have the New Jersey primary at least as early as March. So just moving to April, I'm not going to go through all of them, all the full delegate count, but I'll just tell you what, which states are going and which ones have more. So you have, in April, we have Alaska, Hawaii, Louisiana, Wyoming, Wisconsin, Connecticut, Delaware, Maryland, New York, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, and Wyoming. Out of 12 states having their primaries in April, only two have more delegates than New Jersey, and they're both the ones that border us geographically, Pennsylvania and New York. In May, we have Kansas, Indiana, Nebraska, West Virginia, Kentucky, Oregon. New Jersey has more delegates than all of the six states in May, and it even has more delegates than three of them combined. So I just want to say um, there's really no reason from just the point of delegates, um, from the point of will they come here, um, they're going to, they're campaigning in states that have far less delegates at stake than New Jersey. We could totally move our uh, uh, Democratic and Republican primaries up earlier. It'd be better representation of the nation. It'll make New Jersey matter. Um, I think it's just fairer to the country as a whole because uh, it's strange to me that these states that aren't very populated, aren't very representative of the, of the country, have a disproportionate effect. And New Jersey is hugely important in terms of its uh, economy and like people work in two of the major areas. Um, like the whole tri-state area is important, so we might as well just actually be important on a national political level for once. And that's why I advocate we get to move it to at least March or February. I'm trying to figure out like how I, I think what you've said earlier about having a rotating system might be beneficial because then it would allow for the the candidates who probably don't have enough funding to disperse their funds with the priority of where the the primaries fall but they could do something like a weighted rotating system yeah so they could say starting January through June um, they can make sure that say there's a only the like it'll be semi-random and only one state that has more than 100 delegates will go and say a, a three-week period yeah. so that way you know so that way it's not like uh you're still forced to only campaign in a few states ignoring the others you spread out the large states uh 
all around, and then just at least then it's fair for everybody. Yeah. But if, we're, if that's going to take a coordination of state state party, no state party wants to. No state uh, party, but I think it could be that, uh, like a like a federal mandate of looking at the states and you know comparing it to the demographics of the country. Uh, yeah. You know, and then having that be what says you know. What mandates who goes first? Unfortunately, or how you look at it, fortunately, the federal government takes kind of like a hands-off approach on how parties are run. So um, I, I, I can't remember the Supreme Court decision off the top of my head, but they basically ruled that uh, these are private businesses, and they're allowed to determine internally h- however they want, how they're run, how their uh, uh, nominees are chosen. And in a certain sense, that's that kind of sucks because they basically, they, the context of that was uh, with the rigging with Bernie Sanders in, in 2016, or against Bernie Sanders in 2016. The, the courts basically ruled they're, they can do whatever they want. I mean, they're private entities, so even yeah. if they did rigging, it's fine. Um, and that's extremely anti-democratic, but it's also kind of hopeful if you're a person who likes third parties, you can create a third party and advocate for it at smarting, so at, at the small, like local mm-hmm. level, that is actually internally and fundamentally democratic. And there's no reason why uh, we have to run our, our uh, state parties in this way. But that's kind of a long-term solution. It doesn't fix, it fix the short-term solution of making these uh, these primaries actually matter in New Jersey and, and making sure that it's actually uh, it's a fairer system overall for every state. I mean, I'm sure every state hates that, besides, uh, besides uh, Iowa, Iowa and New Hampshire, <laughs> that they're first. Because it doesn't make any sense to, if you live anywhere else. And um, it's especially a disgrace for New Jersey to have its primary in June, given all the reasons I've just said. Well, on that note, yeah. that about wraps up this week's episode. Yeah. Yeah. And we do have to plug our Instagram account, our Twitter account. We have a Twitter account. Uh, go to at Jersey underscore matters. Very Jersey Matters. Yeah, like and on Instagram, you can follow us at Jersey Matters Podcast. And there you will get daily, week daily information about New Jersey, some fun facts. Some memes? Some, no memes yet. Yeah, memes I should do some memes because unbeknownst to some people, uh, I am kind of meme Instagram famous. Uh, memes are dreams. <laughs> Uh, but you can follow us on Instagram for fun facts about New Jersey. We did this week a spotlight on the um, New Jersey senators, so Booker and Menendez, as previously mentioned. And it was very informative. Very informative. And I found it very interesting that our senators are both Democrats. Fun, fun. Um, but follow us there, and we are. our website is pending. Uh, <laughs> it's being worked on and if you're listening to us already then that means you're listening on either SoundCloud or Spotify so thank you soon we'll be on Apple Podcasts as well yeah. yep. announce it when it happens yeah <laughs> but thank spread you spread to your friends spread to your family thank you for listening unlike coronavirus we don't recommend spreading that <laughs> but spread spread Jersey Matters around signing off this is Casey McLean this is Mike Credo thank you for listening Bye-bye.